Was the COVID vaccine official narrative of world governments and the WHO actually refuted by the producer of one of the vaccines? Could the vaccine company with a criminal record in fraudulent marketing in the United States be truly considered to be a reliable partner by the European Union president? Did this company face thousands of lawsuits for fraudulent marketing and medical injuries caused by some of its most profitable drugs? Does the company help capture the FDA by placing its own employees in director positions? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we focus our attention on the member of the big pharma mob making a huge mark in the rollout of the vaccine and healthcare in general while having a far more culpable track record than we wish to see in our medical leaders. The pharmaceutical giant is Pfizer. Joining us to discuss this company are two guests. In our first half hour, Professor Michelle Chosodowski talks about the bombshell release of information about Pfizer's secret report on impacts of its vaccine, as well as giving us more background not only on its criminal record, but on all its attempts to subdue its own medical adversaries. Then in our second half hour, we hear more about Pfizer's background of escaping accountability through the investigative reporter, Johnny Vedmore. On this week's program, Medical Marvel or the Second Coming of Al Capone, The Sins of Pfizer. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of January 28, 2022. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Inyinyu, Ojikri, Diné, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Canadian governments are fully aware of the importance of the North American trade bloc. And now, Justin Trudeau has sucked us up into the biggest economic mess in our country's history while violating the fundamental rights of Canadians. What we need here in Canada is an indefinite political quarantine of our not-so-illustrious Prime Minister. I can say, as an economist, that this irresponsible decision by the Trudeau government, if enforced, will have devastating consequences on producers, transport, companies as well as on the entire fabric of wholesale and retail trade. It will affect all of us. That comes from the article, The Freedom Convoy in Solidarity with the Truck Drivers. What Canada Needs is the Political Quarantine of Justin Trudeau. By Professor Michel Chosodowski, posted January 26th. On January 24th, it was reported that the UAF deployed a significant number of engineering and sapper equipment 
designed to make passages in minefields to ensure military offensive actions. On January 25th, information was received from DPR officials that multiple rocket launchers and new tank units had arrived in the region to form strike groups. Combat aircraft of some NATO countries are arriving in Poland, the Baltic states, and Bulgaria. It seems that a certain part of the Washington and Brussels establishment are doing their utmost to unleash a war in Eastern Europe. In this light, the conflict can be prevented only by the joint efforts of Russia and the largest European states, such as Germany and France. That comes from the article, Video, War Coming to Europe, posted January 26th, originally published on South Front. In Tennessee in the U.S., the number of polio victims before vaccination became compulsory was 119. The year after vaccination was introduced, the figure rose to 386. Similar figures for other American states. Polio became less common as a result of better sanitation and cleaner water supplies. The vaccination had no useful effect. That comes from the article, 20 Facts About Vaccination Your Doctor Forgot to Tell You. By Dr. Vernon Coleman, posted January 26th, originally published at vernoncoleman.org. A 2021 survey by the European Council on Foreign Affairs found that most Europeans want to remain neutral in any U.S. war against Russia or China, but new NATO member states align with the U.S. against Russia. They have installed terminals to receive U.S. liquid natural gas deliveries to reduce dependence on Russian gas. Despite all the diplomatic efforts, powerful institutional and economic forces in the U.S., the military-industrial complex and big energy companies, among others, are eager for a new Cold War with Russia, which would provide them with boundless opportunities for profitable deals. The U.S. military-industrial complex needs enemies like human lungs need oxygen, the saying goes. That comes from the article, Stripping Away the Bullshit, U.S. and Russian Threats Over Ukraine, What They're About and Who's the Aggressor. By D. Knight, posted January 26th, originally published in Covert Action magazine. The foregoing examinations call into question the widespread public advocacy of vaccination, which attributes the decline in many infectious diseases to vaccines alone. Vaccinations often proved to be ineffective or counterproductive. The effect of modern living conditions, including proper hygiene and sanitation, Pure water and sufficient nutrition led to a greater reduction in infectious diseases and mortality than prophylactic pharmaceutical interventions. Wars, on the other hand, accelerate the spread of infectious diseases, which tend to decline after the cessation of hostilities. On the other hand, mass vaccination in times of war led to severe health consequences which were still felt years after the war. That comes from the article, Infectious Diseases, Vaccines, and War, by Professor Mark Herberman, posted January 26th. 
These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. Just a listener advisory before we go forward. We are still caught in the crosshairs of COVID-19, and in this episode, I don't want to alarm anybody. The focus will be on the corporate record of Pfizer as a health team participant and with an astonishing campaign of scandal in its own history, going back way in advance of COVID. Consequently, in this discussion, critical questions are asked about the dangers of the vaccine despite it being embraced by all major health authorities, including Health Canada, the FDA, and the WHO, as being perfectly safe. Some listeners are very sensitive to the conversation at this time and may find this discussion challenging and are warned in advance in case they choose to listen further. Also note that our guests are not themselves health experts. There have been reports on VAERS of high adverse reactions and deaths reported as allegedly caused by the vaccine. Now a freedom of information request managed to get hold of an insider's report on Pfizer's data on the vaccine and and its results were shocking. In just the first two and a half months since its vaccine was delivered to the public, Pfizer had already received more than 1,200 reports of deaths allegedly caused by the vaccine and tens of thousands of reported adverse events, including 23 cases of spontaneous abortions out of 270 pregnancies and more than 2,000 reports of cardiac disorders. This is an alarmingly high uh, for just two and a half months, yet Pfizer, with the assistance of the FDA, tried to conceal their results for the next 55 years. How straightforward was Pfizer with national health authorities when they determined then and and determined to this day that a vaccine everyone has to take arguably has dangerous implications for human health? Could they pose a threat in a way, in the way they operate? And, And what are the broader conclusions? To get his take on this, we've invited yet again none other than Michelle Chasadovsky. Professor Michelle Chasadovsky is a professor emeritus of economics at the University of Ottawa, an award-winning writer. He's the founder and editor and director of the Center for Research on Globalization in Montreal. It's a pleasure to have you back, Professor Chasadovsky. Um, I guess to maybe to start, you could point out the fact that, uh, that Pfizer actually has a criminal record. And, and if, if you know, their account is sound, it seems like the company you know, it, it may be behaving, maybe you could uh, relate to uh, our listeners, you know, a, a little bit more about it, about their whole uh, rejection of, of being straightforward with their uh, uh, freedom of information. Yeah, well, well, let me first address the, the issue of this uh, confidential Pfizer report, which was released under freedom of information. It's a, a, it's a massive report. Uh, I've reviewed part of it, And I can say that essentially uh, this data revealed, uh, refutes the official vaccine narrative 
peddled by the governments and the, w and the World Health Organization. It comes from the horse's mouth. It comes from Pfizer. And this means that uh, in as much as what is presented in this report, which is drafted by Pfizer, um, pertaining to the impacts of the vaccine on mortality and morbidity, that data emanates from them. And it can now be used, and it should be used, to confront both Pfizer and the governments and the WHO and the media. And that report in a court of law uh, should be presented as evidence. And why is it irrefutable? Because it is their data and their estimates and not those uh, of independent observers. Mm. Um, so I think what is significant in this uh, in this confidential report, which is now in the public domain, is the fact that, yes, it is a killer virus, and it is a mere culpa on the part of Pfizer. Mm. Now, uh, let me revert to your question on Pfizer's criminal record. Uh, and not many people know about this, because the media doesn't report on it. And I think it is of relevance that if you're going to be vaccinated by a company which has a criminal record, you should be informed. And bear in mind, this is the only company in the United States of America which has a criminal record with the US Department of Justice. And we should distinguish between the you know the class action lawsuits, which are which are uh, civilian. It's not criminal. Okay, in other words, you there, there was a big there was a class action lawsuit against uh, Johnson and Johnson. Actually, it it's still ongoing. Uh, but as far as Pfizer is concerned, they were uh, they were accused in two thousand nine of um, fraudulent marketing uh, and they were f they uh, well they there was a, an agreement with the company Pfizer pays 2.3 billion for fraudulent marketing it goes to the Department of Justice okay it's a criminal lawsuit and it's a settlement and bear in mind that when you have a criminal lawsuit normally you can arrest people Okay, but they made they negotiated this with the lawyers, and what they had was a so-called corporate integrity agreement, um, which essentially is equivalent to putting Pfizer on probation for a period of four years. In other words, um, it was well, it was the Department of Health and Human Services of the United States, which was essentially acting as a parole officer uh, and on, be on behalf of the Department of Justice. And, uh, and what 
what was understood is that Pfizer would would sort of go back to a normal, uh, honest life, and that um, this entity of the U.S. government would be detecting misconduct on the part of Pfizer Incorporated. Now that is the background, and very few people know that uh, about it, and it's the only case. And now we have a situation which is far more serious than fraudulent marketing. We have, we have a company which is marketing a killer vaccine. And I use the term because the, the confidential, you know, the confidential report, which is now in the public domain, confirms it. And all the data confirm it. But what about the idea that, I mean, you've got regulatory agencies, I mean, the FDA, Health Canada, they are saying, no, this is not a killer vaccine, it's safe. I mean, how, are, I mean, are you, does that imply that Pfizer is somehow manipulating them in some way to, uh, to, to get the vaccine, to, to get the statements that they want to get? Well, you know, Health Canada doesn't publish the data on adverse um, events and mortality. The United States does it, it's VAERS. The European Union does it, it's EMA. Uh, the European Medicine, Medicine um, Agency. The United Kingdom does it. We have tons of information from these three, uh, well, European Union, United Kingdom, and United States to say unequivocally that there is an upward trend in mortality and morbidity. And I can say that worldwide. We are receiving reports from different countries. Now, Health Canada, the first thing that we should ask Health Canada, reveal the data. It's not an issue of constitutional rights here. It goes much further. We have a vaccine which is killing people. And Health Canada has the responsibility to publish the data of vaccine-related adverse events and mortality, as is done in the United States, the European Union, Britain, and many other countries around the world. Now, I should mention this one very important element which has emerged in late December. Uh, Thailand has acknowledged not only the, the deaths and adverse events, it has implemented a program of compensating the victims of the vaccine. And I can, the data is available. There was something of the order of 8,000 complaints which were accepted by the Royal Thai government. Uh, at an earlier stage in my life, I worked for the Royal Thai government under a contract with, with, uh, with CEDA. Um, but uh, bear in mind that when a, a country like Thailand, with a very large population, much larger than the population of Canada, a very structured um, um, public sector and so on, takes the decision and it's a member of the United Nations, and it's a member of WHO, it takes the decision to compensate the victims, 
it opens up a precedent. It opens up a legal precedent, and it also opens up what you might say um, a, a, a Pandora's box, um, because it is now setting a precedent that a government has actually accepted the fact that this is uh, not a, a vaccine, but a dangerous substance which threatens the lives of people in Thailand and, of course, worldwide. Yeah, it'd be interesting um, if other countries jump on board soon. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I don't see any countries jump, jumping on board, and the, and this revelation on Thailand has kept has been kept secret. Well, it's public, but at the same time, and people know about it in Thailand, but it's not something which is being discussed worldwide. It's important. But there are other elements which are emerging. There's a police investigation in the United Kingdom directed against the, the, the government of Boris Johnson. It's, it's run by the London Metropolitan Police, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and it, it is ongoing. And then there's also, uh, also from the United Kingdom, uh, there's a registered uh, uh, case with the, with the International Court of Justice in, in The Hague. Uh, and and uh, it, is, uh, it is presenting the fact that this vaccine is, uh, is a criminal undertaking uh, yeah. in as much as the governments are fully aware of the data. They have access to the data of other countries, which actually, I mean, Health Canada must have the data somewhere hidden. And it's a double crime there. They're not revealing it to the public on the one hand, and they're ignoring the fact that, that, that these adverse effects are taking place and they're forcing people to get vaccinated so that there's a whole series of, of criminal acts. And I, I say it's not simply an issue of informed consent and the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We're, we're much beyond that. Yeah, um, and it's the first time in history that uh, that a vaccine has had that kind of impact. We can go back to the polio, um, the polio uh, vaccine years back, which was actually discontinued because it was resulting in uh, in adverse uh, events, uh, paralysis, and and death, and so on. But it was it was withdrawn. So what we are going asking. Uh, our governments to do is to withdraw this killer vaccine, mm -hmm. to withdraw it. There's no other, there's no other avenue, and it is not negotiable because it's a criminal act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I I just wanted to ask you one one final point. Not not so much uh, about uh, the, the the criminal behavior of Pfizer, but also its size. Uh, it's uh, going to be getting into a, a merger soon with another company, and this would make it uh, uh, much more uh, impressive in terms of, uh, you know, in, in relation to the other uh, pharmaceutical corporations. You know, I mean, you, you said that uh, the, uh, they, they were responsible for uh, getting AstraZeneca and, uh, and other countries to, to get in danger when, you know, in, in fact, uh, the, the, the same level of uh, injuries, are, or in fact, Pfizer had more injuries than AstraZeneca did. So, I mean, how, how do you propose that uh, 
that Pfizer actually achieved that? Well, let me let me go back a little bit in history, and and this is something which people don't know about. Back in, I believe it was in August of 2019, the two big giants, GlaxoSmithKline and Pfizer, entered into an, an agreement. It wasn't a merger, but it was uh, it was a, a commitment to collaboration. Now that is the element of there you have the two big monopolies. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline is, is not directly involved in marketing vaccines, but of course it produces uh, various substances which are used in the vaccines. And it's, 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 it is worldwide. And, and both these companies have partners in China and various other countries, but they're certainly a big component of, uh, of the Chinese pharmaceutical industry, which is involved, but much more in the, in the let's say, in the production phase, uh, rather than at the level of, of intellectual property. But uh, let me just refer to something which is, is absolutely fundamental. Back in April of last year, uh, the Pfizer, in fact, it was March, um, that um, Pfizer entered into negotiations with the European Union for the delivery of, and listen to that, for the delivery of 1.8 billion doses of, uh, of, their, of their vaccine. And if you look at, I mean, if you look at the numbers, 1.8 billion doses uh, is four times the population, exactly four times the population of the European Union. And that order came after an initial delivery of, of I, I, don't, I don't have all the figures on that, but we're talking about, we're talking about uh, the fulfillment of contracts which are in the billions, literally in the billions, both in North America as well as in uh, as well as in the European Union, and uh, and this was negotiated. It was negotiated with uh, uh, with uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, van der Leyen. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I get Urs no, it's not fun. It's Ursula von der Leyen, um, who is uh, president of the U European, the EU Commission, and um, and uh, she made a statement uh, back in April um, that the negotiations had been launched, and she also thanked uh, uh, Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech. Uh, and they said that they were reliable partners of the European Union. Uh, of course, how can they be, how can Pfizer be a reliable partner when just a few years earlier, uh, they, um, they were uh, indicted by the US Department of Justice for fraudulent marketing. And, and incidentally, Al Capone was indicted for tax evasion. Uh, there's a whole level of corruption, of um, blackmailing underlying the relationship between the entities of the European Union and nation states 
and the pharmaceutical industries. And uh, then, of course, in addition to, the, to all this fraudulent behavior, there is the substance of what is inside these vaccines. And what is inside the vaccines is, uh, is a killer. Okay. Uh, we are still in the process of, you know, of, of investigating uh, the vaccines. Okay. Uh, there's a whole issue of uh, graphene oxide or, or graphene hydroxide. Mm. There's the issue of magnetism within the, the, the vial of the vaccine and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, and the evidence is overwhelming. And the evidence is overwhelming, both revealed by scientists, but also revealed, and that's very important, by the official data uh, of uh, adverse events and mortality associated with, uh, with uh, this so-called mRNA vaccine, which, according to scientific opinion, is not a vaccine. Okay. Well, Professor Michelle Chosovsky, we really appreciate having you on again and uh, you know, elaborating a little bit on this uh, uh, bombshell of a report. Thank you so much for your time. Delighted to be on the program. Best wishes. We've been speaking with Michelle Chosodovsky. He's a professor emeritus of economics at the University of Ottawa and founder and director of the Center for Research on Globalization. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Pfizer has faced thousands of lawsuits for fraudulent marketing and medical injuries caused by some of its most profitable drugs. I will add in the interest of full disclosure to having been prescribed two of those medications in the past, though I did not launch a lawsuit or claim to suffer long-term side effects. Joining us to talk about some of the history of Pfizer and, and the way they operate, we're joined by Johnny Vedmore. He's an independent investigative journalist as well as a musician. He's based in Cardiff, Wales. He contributes to uh, the Unlimited Hangout, which is Whitney website. Johnny Vedmore, welcome to the Global Research News Hour. Hi, nice to be here. Nice to, nice to speak to you finally. So I assume you followed the uh, the recent disclosure uh, of the Pfizer documents. So given what we've, you've learned about them, does any of it surprise you? Uh, no. And and at, at the moment, what we're what we're we're um, going through is a time where we're going to see lots of information come out um, constantly. And and what I, I find incredible is that people can sift through this information so quickly and actually get to the relevant like points. And I think this this does a service to the normal uh, citizen journalists out there and the researchers who, who are really, there are a load of researchers out there who are constantly doing work um, and, and are really, really talented at their stuff. They don't necessarily have the ability to get out there and, and, and talk, but they, they, they're the ones who release this information, go through it, sift it or uh, sift through it after the release um, and, and find a really important 
important uh, points. And you're seeing these points echoed in loads of different um, uh, different things that are coming out at the moment, including I know there was a report in New Zealand that, that uh, came out where they were saying that basically the um, more, uh, mortality and uh, the adverse reactions is looking to be 30 times higher than any other vaccine, um, which uh, when I've seen other figures recently that's been coming out from these uh, other other um, uh, deposits of information, I don't know what to call them because like you always want to refer to them as leaks of information, but because they're, they're only being given up, like you say, they're only being given up because people have put pressure on them. So in a sense, they're like leaks. They're like they're leaks. They just could not stop. They could not tape up those little little bits. Um, I could not seal them off. And and it, it it's been really important. To, to see what the problems are and the problems range from everything from like ner uh, nerve damage um so we got like myocarditis and pericarditis and all all of those different effects uh death of course which is uh, i mean uh, the most severe that you can get um uh, some would say some others would say not when they're stuck in a wheelchair and unable to speak for the rest of their life um as many as loads of other things like blood clotting and lots of other other problems and these problems uh they're gonna leave people uh having to ask more questions uh, what i find disappointing the most disappointing is that with all the flood of this information you're still seeing that the majority of people who have some form of profile and then experience these side effects after um having a jab um and then come out and say it say in the same breath I'm really happy that these vaccines have saved a lot of lives, um, but this is what they've done to me. And I, I always find that's one of the, the, the saddest things, the human, uh, the, the normal human reaction that often comes from, I, I believe comes from uh, a, a want to uh, self-preservation of the ego so that you don't feel like you've been tricked or duped or, or that the, you, something's gone wrong because you can't have um, people who are fit and healthy having, uh, including athlete, a lot of athletes and stuff um, coming down with such, bad side effects uh publicly and, and it's continuing i mean it seems like it does seem like a mass psychosis event it does seem like that it does seem like that we're living in an imaginary world if we think that's normal and a lot of this comes down to the uh, a lot of the problem we have at the moment is that we're about to see that flood of information increase at such a level because they will be creating document after document after document to make it harder for these many researchers to sift through and actually get answers to any of the questions so Pfizer and their people will be uh, looking um in into in to trying to flood the zone as was said in event 201 by I believe it was uh Matthew Harrington um who, who said that basically flooding the zone was like putting out as much information as possible and making it impossible for any other uh, news to come to the surface, you know, that sort of thing. The other thing about a lot of the information that comes out, and that one of the most concerning uh, issues, that I think, for the whole COVID uh, pandemic relating to va uh, these vaccinations, which a lot of people don't like calling them vaccinations because they are experimental medical procedures, really. Um, what all medical interventions they are not really, you know, they're, they're having to be done um uh one of the most interesting thing is that the batch types of these pfizer vaccines had a different 
level of adverse side effects and death. And so batch types were sent to certain areas that will result in worse uh, rates um, than other areas. And I find that information to be extremely suspicious because we know there's an agenda. We know we've heard about um, the agenda to get rid of the useless eaters and all of this, we've heard about that. Now we're always dealing with uh, on the end of uh, on the edge of um, realms of conspiracy theory because it sounds in, like imaginary. It sounds like a silly imaginary thing. That the the idea that we we'd be entering again after all we've learned and all of this, uh, that we'd be collectively entering into a, a point of mass extermination or depopulation um, by methods that seem underhand. But when you're seeing batch numbers being sent to certain areas that will have a higher death rate um, and you wonder how are those actually chosen and who who decides who gets who and what gets what it reminds me of standing in um, one of those modern tech museums I can't remember what it's called but it was in uh, Bristol it was like an exhibition that I was in uh, I looked at recently and it, it had one of the um, oldest philosophical uh, issues uh, in front and it's supposed to make you think but to be honest the whole place seemed like it was manufacturing consent for doing rather than thinking about it because these philosophical problems are not something that you should take um take uh, you should use as part of your toolkit unless you really have to and yeah. this is what's been used but but the, the philosophy that if you've got um uh one old person and they do this they one old person on a on a uh, train tracks and uh, and and on another train track you got five people and the train's approaching and what do you do do you allow the five people or do you do you, do you change the tracks so that it only kills the one person and everybody's always going to say well you change the track and then it adds and and gives you the idea oh well actually i can make a decision that can save lives but in return, I have to um, take life, you know, and that sort of fundamental idea that has entered into it is, is I think is ever prevalent and not talked about that much. And is really symbolic in that one philosophical idea of, of do you allow one person to die or five people to die? And what, what's yeah. your basis on that? That seeding that into the environment, I think uh, it's happened a lot. And this Pfizer jab being different, um, having different effects, different models, batch numbers is a real suspicious addition to the equation. Well, yeah, when, when Pfizer joined the race to get a COVID vaccine, it intended to use the mRNA, a, a, a novice brand new thing, um, which is not a DNA vaccine, by the way, but you do see a connection there. I mean, could you just explain that? Yeah, it's really hard. And it's really hard to, to research. As a researcher who goes into family histories and the um, elite, uh, uh, the powerful um, uh, sort of connections of elites in the past and present, it's really difficult to look at a science um, of such complicated level and really understand it. And I did a lot of research into it. My understanding of it is that in um, uh, this vaccination works by uh, instead of um, where where a messenger mRNA uh, is uh, DNA that splits into two goes through a cell wall because DNA can't fit through that cell wall and then another a, a, a piece of mRNA attaches to that and then it codes for a protein to be sent instead of do the vaccination working on that process of replacing that 
point it skips the down the line and just calls for that protein to be to be brought but that protein is the protein that is causing a lot of the effects so i i mean this spike this s spike protein um that i i think people discussed a little bit at the start and what the scientific consensus that wasn't from the mainstream because the mainstream was oh this came from a lab or was from a bat and etc even though the, the the other scientists could provide evidence why that was obviously not 99.9 percent .9 of it came from an animal but the 0.1 percent of it uh was a 12 nucleotide insert and that 12 nucleotide insert is made up of a little a uh, little bunch of things that's gonna that, that's gonna ask for a certain type of proteins to be made but that's just, that basically is the spike protein the s spike protein you hear so much about i believe anyway uh put into that virus put into an animal virus inside a laboratory they've they've inserted that that's an insert that's gain of function to make it um no longer just in the animal but to allow it to cross over to humans and what that spike protein apparently is the s protein is from the hiv virus so they've taken it out of there and they've placed it in there to make it so that it hooks on better because that's why hiv was so terrible and so that's what they wanted to do for some reason that's what you want to do you want it you want to create a hook onto it so that then uh, creates that that process of vaccination creates this uh, rolling process of you calling more of what's more likely to harm you now that's my understanding of it yeah. and they'll say oh you're wrong you don't understand anything and it's true i don't understand yeah. a lot uh, you know there's elements of what they say is going to be true but if you cannot explain to me the medical intervention and how it works so that I can understand it when I've got a lot of experience in going through scientific journals and through scientific papers and understanding quite complicated stuff through lots of like time of trying to learn it. If I can't understand it, then the, the, the average Joe on the street who doesn't take any notice of science is definitely not going to understand it. And that means it's not got any like it's not got a factor of consent you cannot consent to a medical intervention if you can't understand how it works and the person who who uh who makes it can't explain it to you in simple terms it, it's simply that because every time they have to try and explain it in too much detail they have to try and explain where this bit come from or where that bit come from or how that's different why it's different from this wait a minute why is this different from this why is this well they have to explain it because it's something they're discovering themselves it's a still an ongoing research project one thing you discover as well is that um in about 2014 2015 maybe a little bit later than that um in britain alone there were something like a hundred different um uh, lab breaches yeah. in in uh I, whichever lab is their main uh, the, the main ministry of defense lab at the moment um and so you this is something that is really common all around the place you know th these guys are doing really dangerous research really dangerous viruses uh, it's like one of those one of those um uh, uh breaches in lab security was they were testing ebola that they'd given they'd infected into animals they'd managed to create a Ebola in some bovines, some uh, some cows, I believe they were cattle, um, and they were testing out on what Ebola does to cattle when it kills them. Um, obviously, that's like that sort of gain of function, trans species mutation of viruses in laboratories, 
are happening in Britain, in Britain, and that just should not be. We shouldn't be bringing these viruses. I understand the idea, oh, you have to do some research. Okay, if a virus is in a country, you send all your scientists to that country and you do your research while that virus is there in that country. You don't create the viruses. I just do not believe in this. And a lot of the, the this research is 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 based on this mRNA technology, which was uh, really like, you know, fundamentally, they were like, oh, it all works apart from this one little bit where we can't get a, a, a grasp on. We can't get, a, you know, a, an understanding of, which was, I, I think, basically like um, something that would a good ad. I think it's called an agitator or something, something that causes um, a response to your immune system. Um, and you had to uh, to to bond that you had to bond it onto something and they couldn't find it and they ended up with like those lipid nanoparticles and things like that and all of that stuff is known for having some form of toxicity that is unknown now the problem with a lot of these experiments nowadays a lot of these uh these companies is that if it's unknown that means it's fair game so they do this as well with the response to the virus and how they calculate um, the the um, the, the uh, adverse effects of a vaccine. So they say we're not going to we're, we're, we're not going to count. We're not going to check. No one has to report it. It's not mandatory. You don't have to think we like one one to 10 percent may report it uh if they want you know we won't do any research into that um but we'll tell you we'll tell you for sure that it's doing this that's the opposite of what the research would actually tell us if we do it so it's like don't look don't tell policy we don't look at the research we don't research it we don't check the numbers so it's not happening Talk a bit about uh, the, the scandalous behavior of Pfizer. I mean, you, there, there's a history of it that's that's documented in, in the court's record. I mean, talk about some of the, the more dynamic cases in their past that, that should raise f- a few flags about some of their products. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I've got to say, I'm not the most knowledgeable person about everything in the world um, relating to uh, Pfizer, but I did my research on them. And some of the things that you, uh, one of the, the things I focused in on was the case in Nigeria, I think it was in the 90s, where they came in to test some uh, medicine that was really potentially unnecessary, I, I think, on pregnant women. And then there was loads of birth defects. As soon as, as, soon as, as people started dying, uh, I mean, the birth defects weren't discovered till later and uh, other things weren't discovered till later but the actual as soon as people started dying and things started going wrong and people started noting it and people started saying it the scientists just packed up the whole operation and left straight away they had no intention and this would then they people would try and get justice for these people and and for the next like 10 years Pfizer would do everything in its a power to put legal pressure on these people um, who were poor people from Nigerian community. And, and that, you know, that's, that's a lot different than what it's like living in the West when you're from like some poor Nigerian town up North and you've been uh, tested on by these guys and you've got some sort of problem. You're, you're done for life. You know, you can't work anymore. These people have to work lots. They have to work much harder than this. They have to carry things. They have to look after people. Um, some of them were, were, you know, obviously they couldn't have kids or I couldn't have normal life. 
lives to this scene is sterile and it, their lives will be affected forever. And that's a tragedy within itself. Um, but the Pfizer would do their best to obfuscate and, and to uh, every every point in court to, to refuse to take uh, any responsibility until eventually they said basically, OK, we'll, we'll say that, that it's, it could have been, but we're not sure. And we'll pay you like something. I don't know. I, it was like a pittance. It was like each person got maybe a thousand pound if they were lucky or something. You know, they really didn't get it. And then they go on and act as though this is normal. It's normal behavior. This is what we do. Now, a lot of the things about Pfizer don't make a lot of these things about these big pharmaceutical companies. Um, they, they like they gain this all of this behavior that they do all of these different times, because that's just one of many. I'm sure there's many people who, who could tell you every single um, thing that Pfizer's done. And I come across a lot of them, but I wouldn't want to speak about things that I'm not necessarily like I'd make mistakes on. And and a lot a lot of the stuff I read, I didn't go into in great detail because quite simply, there was so much of it. Um, these people, they get... Go on, sorry. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the role of Pfizer in contorting like the regulation in the FDA, you know, because I mean, it's, it's, it's not just within Pfizer, but it's, it's going out. I mean, in fact, uh, I know, for example, a, a former Pfizer employee, uh, Patricia Cafazzoni, ended up as a director at the FDA. Yeah, yeah, well, this is what they do. They swap in between. Um, the other discovered is when I, I did research on the, the Pfizer people, what you discover is that um, the people who were interviewing the Pfizer people back in the day who were giving this like uh, manufactured version of events and, and uh, are just like, you know, uh, are, are doing puff pieces for these people. These people will go on later to work for Pfizer and for other companies and vice versa. When uh, Pfizer employees got the three of them, I think, in, in one, of, one of the cases Three of them got 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 a court sending emails to each other that uh, play it would trying to play down and uh, like uh, event and they got caught out and so those three had to stand, uh, step down and they all go into the media you know and then report doing the same thing going to they're now the links with these pharmaceutical companies so the media's then they're just representatives or they go into the PR into the back offices a lot of these people um, uh, don't actually uh, have any type of uh like punishment for for their crimes in this thing it's a big circle it's a big circle and a lot of the funding uh, a lot of the uh, you know uh, funding in governments etc a lot of the um adverts on tv you now now you'll see uh, are sponsored by the people who can pay the for them easily because they're earning so much money and that's companies like pfizer uh now a lot of these companies big companies i've done research on glaxo smith klein in the past and um which was smith klein beecham and, and glaxo so welcome or whatever and all of these different things these these companies merge change and they 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 uh rebrand uh every say 30 years i'd say um it seems because they they need to because they come up to a point where the scandal's too much and they'd have to pay way too much money out that they just have to say okay we're going to split the company into sell this off to this sell this off to this and that's happened multiple times um, throughout history and will will happen again. I believe uh, any of these companies, Pfizer or something, they'll 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 get bought out by Eli Lilly or something like this. Uh, another company will come along, and really, it'll still be the same people making the same money 
owning it the same way. The same people will be on board running it in the same way. Anybody who has to be the um, have their head on the chopping block of a company like Pfizer or, or one of the big pharmaceutical companies will just be moved off even to another department, which is another thing you see a lot is often they say, oh, yeah, this person did bad. Uh, we're going to send them over to this department where they're out of the limelight. You know, these people don't really take responsibility or these big companies and the people working inside them don't take responsibility for any of the actions what's that what's that that's going to do over time i mean if you're working in pfizer i mean the company that's able to avoid accountability as you say uh, i mean maybe their attempts to cut corners or whatever what does that do to them as as individuals doing their work i mean is it well, I, I think to get into the top of um, Big Pharma in the first place, you've probably got to be pretty narcissistic with a massive ego. For the people running down at the lower levels, I always feel a bit sorry for a lot of the people because you've seen good people work in these companies, like people who have the, 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 the same intentions as many nurses have when they go into work in a hospital, the idea that oh, I'm going to do good, I'm going to help people, I'm going to look after people. Um, but when they actually get into it, all they're doing is, is they basic like uh, standard operating procedure uh, the research they've been funded for the area that they to focus on um, and that area that those will then build up to be a bigger picture that's designed by um, uh, by someone else and for completely different reasons and altruism or, or humanity for the goodness of humanity you know the, these people know how to work the small cogs so they don't even know they're parts of a cog in the machine um, so a lot of these people who work in Pfizer as well i feel quite sorry for because a lot of them would be like i wanted to make a career out of it and they got such a bad name and that's not what my experience is my lived experience i go into work everybody's nice and we're doing good for humanity we're researching cancer we're researching you know some some irritable irritable bowel syndrome or something like that lots of people you know really are doing good work in all of these companies all of these companies are doing some and then there's this reckless top level, which seems to be put in charge because they're willing to take the hit. So you don't get to be like someone like the CEO, Berla. Um, you don't get to be um, someone like him in a position like he's in without uh, having like um, knowing that your head will be on the chopping block at some point. Mm. You, you are the front man. You are the front man for a company which is committing crimes. So do you see, uh, yeah, do you see any success coming? I mean, with the, the accountability, again, basically getting away with things, what will happen to eventually come to a, a disclosure? I mean, where the people can basically force the company to, you know, get in, I don't know, to, to, to stop their negative attacks or, or malfeasance yeah. or whatever. What, what can set the, 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 set the record straight? I got I got this really like uh, the more I look into these uh, how this whole network of pharmaceutical industries of trusts that pack them up through and and fund the research of all these unaccountable bodies um, I find it terrifying what I see is um, like a, a kind of machine bureaucracy akin to some sort of cyber hyper communism that's rolling out through the whole of the medical industry throughout the whole of the world that it's unstoppable that these people will remain unaccountable because they have just way too much power it's they're, they're in control now this is like a medical technocracy um, and none of them will be held to account and I think 
there, there will be a couple where I, I say none of them will none of the people who will actually make the decisions will be held to account they'll have their their people who have their head on the public chopping block and then nothing will happen to them anyway they'll just disappear into the the, the scene um i don't think there's any structure that can hold them to account because all these structures by what i've seen have been completely and utterly infiltrated for over like three decades um by masses and masses of government infiltration and from other things that make it um that have that sort of like uh fascist sort of like uh public private uh behemoth feel to it i i'm not sure there is any a, a way to do it apart from literally like a, a really big a really big change in the way we do politics and the way we hold people to account because yeah. i think what really needs to happen is that all of these companies all of these people that are supposed to work for health have to be 100 transparent all of the time and should have no option to do anything other than that there should be no rig or room at all for them to hide anything if they are giving their drugs to the public which is what a drug company does if they are doing their giving their medical stuff for use on the public they need to be 100 percent open accountable every email scrutinized every communication scrutinized i think we need that throughout a lot of the the top le levels of society of the people we can't trust not for the lower levels of society i think the current pattern they're trying to create is what we need to flip what they're trying to create at the moment in the world is this idea that every they will surveil everybody in a panopticonic type manner you know that, that we will all be um prisoners in cells and they will sit in the center and watch out on us well we need to reverse that paradigm really easily by making them the cell in the middle <laughs> in the cell in the middle and us being all free on the outside and there being uh, like a reverse panopticon Do we I... need to create some form of reverse panopticon yeah we, we we've i'm afraid we've run out of time but uh, i just want to add that you're writing a a major article it's coming up soon and uh i think we'll have to watch for it maybe we can have another conversation on on that article um i would love to i would love to and it's very it, it, it relates in many different ways okay johnny thank you for joining me Ah, it's been a pleasure. Be nice. That was our discussion with Johnny Vedmar, investigative journalist and musician based in Cardiff, Wales. And that is it for the show. Next week, we will make an effort to get a response from Pfizer and or its advocates. Listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Metis Nation and the heart of the Metis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us. Mm -hmm.